maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on offensive words used by coworkers, changing your name, dogs around children, and hosting with food allergies. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about thanks that are long overdue. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on the magic of gift-giving. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Oh my goodness. It is We're good just, to be with you today, it, Lizzie Post. <laughs> I was going to say, it's really good to be with you too. I was so excited for the Thanksgiving break, which we are just getting back from right now. Yeah. And it was, and no, we didn't take a week and a half off. We're just, we're, we're trying to record a little earlier, which means we're a little, <laughs> a little bit Still ahead of the conversation <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a very nice Thanksgiving with my aunt and uncle, but it was just before Thanksgiving when we launched our Substack and the getting back from Thanksgiving to dive into the work of the Substack as well as the holiday crush that we are now into that mm-hmm. has just felt so like, whoa, we're here, we're doing it, okay, let's keep everything straight and organized. <laughs> it feels like a hectic time already. I feel you, Lizzie Post. And at the same time, I'm also feeling like we've got a couple of weeks where we've got an opportunity for some of that stuff to fall nicely into line. Oh, yes. I I think it's already happening as we're talking to each other right now because I just heard a word come out of your mouth, Substack, that was something Mm -hmm. we have mentioned on this show a couple of times. But we really did hustle and work to get it launched Thanksgiving week so we could reach the most number of people possible with our table setting diagrams. (laughs) <laughs> but having had a, a now about a week to to digest and see how it works, can we talk a little bit more about Substack? Because I'm really liking the way it's functioning at Emily Post. Hold me back, please, because I am loving how it's functioning. My mother is loving how it's functioning. Our agent loves how it's functioning. Our agent, like, actually wrote to us and said, this is amazing, guys. Congratulations. Um, so we're we're really excited. I'll be honest, I'm also excited about the other substacks I now follow that I'm on the substack community. Yep. Um, I've been enjoying reading the things I've chosen to follow over there. I'm getting ready to become a paid subscriber to a few people because I'm just so grateful for their it's like it's really funny the substack thing works guys it ends up working (laughs) so lizzie describe the substack thing just a little bit for us please so substack is a wonderful platform that allows content creators like dan and myself to reach our audience in multiple ways so rather than having a sustaining membership over on Patreon and at Constant Contact delivering a really miles-long newsletter to everybody because we don't want to be that newsletter that you just click links to, you know, like we're, we're not into that. We want you to get the content you want straight to your inbox. 
Substack really allowed us to bring those two delivery systems together into one and add to it the very cool, very important community feature of having discussion threads, the ability to like posts, really be able to connect with our audience in a better way. We appreciate social media, but we also appreciate the kind of cocoon of the community that we've created here at Awesome Etiquette with you all. The boundaries. Yeah, a little bit more of a private space, not just open to every troll on the internet that Substack allows us to create. And frankly, in this first week alone, we have been so excited by the comments that we're getting from you guys, whether it's on the table settings or it's just that you really enjoyed the Saturday sip. Our goal here is to have meaningful outreach from us where you're getting quality content, but that doesn't weigh you down, that doesn't look like an endless scrolling of content. So we decided to kind of break everything up and deliver much more frequently uh, to your inbox with with better quality, I think, deliveries is the best way I can put it. On Mondays, we deliver the podcast. Right now, everything on our Substack is for free. There'll be a couple things that move behind a paywall once we're finished with our launch, things like the sustaining membership. So very similar to how we deal with it on Patreon. Those who want the podcast uh, for free with ads will get it for free with ads. And those who want the podcast without ads and with a bonus question and some extra content, they'll get that delivery if you're a paid member over on Patreon or on, excuse me, Substack. What we love about this is that it, it makes our delivery easier and we get the conversational aspect that we've been looking for in an easier way already. I'm seeing more of you, our wonderful audience, engaging with our Substack comments and likes and things like that in ways that we didn't see as much engagement on over on Patreon. So we're really excited about it. On Thursdays, you'll be getting a deep dive article. Next week's, I should say, is probably going to be something on gift giving. And then when Saturday rolls around, we wanted something light and inspirational, just like a quick little Emily Post hangout, if you will. <laughs> with your morning coffee, Tell them what you named tea. it. Tell them what you named oh, it. So I we named it, it the, the, the Saturday Sip. You'll recognize it when you when you see it. It's got a lovely little teacup icon. But it's a tip of the day, basically, and a recipe from the Emily Post cookbook. And that recipe, over time, will change. We'll eventually run out of recipes from the Emily Post cookbook and bring you something else instead. But also a quote from Emily. And it really was so awesome to have one reader write in and say, the Saturday sip is like what I've always wanted from Emily Post. I'm so excited by it. It did just what I wanted it to do. Accompanied my morning coffee and off I went, feeling a little uplifted and inspired to be polite. I was like, oh my gosh, it works. It really works. So I'm really excited. I know, Dan, you're really excited about what we're up to. And there's more cool stuff to come. Yeah. This doesn't, doesn't stop with what we've got here. Uh, we have plans to distribute some of Emily's works prior to etiquette through this medium. We're still working out the very best way to do that. But th these are things we want to be able to make easily accessible. I know a lot of you try to find some of the old books on eBay, and they can be pretty pricey. So we're hoping that for our subscribers, that for our paid subscribers, this is an easier way to get some of that content. And for those of you who want to stay in the free 
free subscribing um, area of the Substack, we really want you to get a lot for your free subscription. We want you to feel like this is enough. This is good. This is uh, sustainable. This is what I enjoy. Dan, how on earth are you holding back from jumping in here? Come on. <laughs> I, I will tell you, it's not easy. I've got this little this little checklist in my mind of things I want to add. Because like you, I am really excited about this. And w- what makes me excited about it is the way I seeing the platform live up to some of the promises. I yeah. remember hearing the people that we know at Substack when they were talking to us about how it works, trying to get us to conceptualize what we might do with it. Mm-hmm. They were saying, you know, what – so many of our writers find is that it really facilitates a discussion with the people that you write for, that you end up with this, this very dynamic relationship between what you write and put out in the world and the options and the ways that people can respond to it easily. And that that ends up creating a, a whole different feel around the writing, a sense of community, a sense of participation. And, and these are words that get thrown around a lot. And to actually watch them start to fill up with the voices that we know and to watch that discussion and that engagement start to happen, even in the earliest phases, I'm talking the first two, three posts to already see that happening. It really has me wondering about what's going to happen over the next three months, six months, year and a half, two years in this forum. It is something that we've been dreaming about at Emily Post ever since I started doing web work here almost 15 years ago to host a, some kind of forum where we could have etiquette topics and allow moderated or curated discussions that were public discussions about specific subcategories of etiquette, shoes on, shoes off, and and and, and allow that discussion to run as a public discussion to – allow top comments to rise to the top and to see what the consensus is about that as more and more people chip in to see what are the little the little nooks and crannies that start to reveal themselves as people really think about behavior and and what our expectations are of each other socially of ourselves socially and it looks like Substack is a platform that is capable of hosting that conversation it is a place where we can do that and that has me really excited. It's and and it's both the Substack platform and our our community. The the community of people that like Emily Post etiquette, that like the content that we share and I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing how that community grows, how this new offering can facilitate that. So we could keep going on and on and on and on. But the, the final message is definitely if you're not getting these emails already, head to the emilypost.com website and Click any of the sign up for newsletter links and you can subscribe for the Substack for free. Give it a try. And while we're in our launch, you're going to get everything. So I strongly recommend it. We're also searchable on the Substack platform if you already have that app on your phone. Real quick, Dan, name one other Substack that you've enjoyed reading now that you're on the Substack community and like a a part of it. The new fatherhood totally got me. It's a a, a lovely community of dads that talk about the experience of being fathers and it it sucked me in. It's the discussions there that I enjoy almost as much as anything. And I, I recommend it highly to any dads out there looking for a little inspiration in your life. And what about you, LP? What are you what are you reading? I picked up four substacks, and one is political writer Dan Pfeiffer, and I really love that because I listen to his podcast, so it's really fun to kind of see him in a different space. And then I also – one some, somebody I'd never heard of before – in fact, I'm blanking on his name. <laughs> I want to say last name's Dwyer, but he does um, 
uh, inspiration on managing weight loss. And I actually find a lot of the, the tools he implements and suggests are really helpful for any kind of behavioral change that you might be making. And so I really, you know, we talk about behavior a lot on the show. And I like thinking about how we change habits and behaviors, especially long ingrained ones. So I'm using that as inspiration just to kind of like watch someone who really dissects and talks about behavior as the way to maintain his weight loss as opposed to talking about you know, exact calories or something like that. So that I find super inspirational. I also, there's a, a woman named Julia who does a Italian blog on her cooking and her kitchen, and she's about to renovate the kitchen. And I actually immediately left a comment that was a tip from my sister on how to kind of edit down your kitchen appliances and utensils and things like that. And I just got a reply back from her to that comment that said, oh my gosh, this is the best advice ever. So it's like really cool. I'm like, oh, wow. Like I, I feel good. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's doing the things it should do. So I'm really excited to be a member on Substack now, but y'all are probably wondering if we're ever going to get to some questions on this show. And we promise we are here for that today. <laughs> we have some really good questions. Lizzie Post, shall we get to some listener questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled Word Worries. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Longtime listener, first time writer. Love the podcast. I'm hoping you can help me deal with an awkward situation that's come up recently at the office of all places. The casual use of the R word, as in, oh my gosh, that's so R word, or I totally forgot I am such an R word. In two different conversations, colleagues have said those very things. And after I picked my jaw up off the floor at the shock that anyone would use that term, least of all in a professional setting, I wasn't sure what to do next. My first inclination was to school them on how offensive that is, but these are my work peers and it doesn't feel like that's my place. But not saying anything at all, which is what I did, felt wrong too. If this had happened in my personal life, I'd have no problem shutting that nonsense down. I really hope I don't have to deal with this kind of thing again, but in the event that I do, I'd love to hear your thoughts or perhaps one of your awesome sample scripts. Unrelated, Lizzie, you are my cursing kindred spirit. <laughs> like you, I'm known for colorful language, and I love that you've shown that one can be kind, considerate, and respectful while dropping the occasional F-bomb. Thanks again for a great podcast, Julie. Well, I'm, uh, Julie, thank you for, for that. I am still working on, on curbing my language. And especially as Dan's kids are now growing up and as, as my uh, niece and nephew are growing up, I am finding myself curbing that language more, more often than not, which is, I, I still think is a good thing. But like you, I also I appreciate the occasional well-placed swear. Um. I <laughs> couldn't agree more, Lizzie Post. And I want to take 
issue with one thing that Julie wrote here. Sure. And that's where she says, unrelated. Lizzie, you are my cursing kindred spirit. Not unrelated. (laughs) I I think that it is actually important to think about what bad words are, where they come from, and the fact that not all bad words are created equal. And we we have this euphemism that we use oftentimes. We say, oh, four-letter words. Oh, those are four-letter words. Those are, 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 are words that are swear words that you shouldn't say. You shouldn't say them around kids. You shouldn't say them in anger or public places. And there are different clusters of words that I would think of as bad words or swear words or words Mm -hmm. that you have to be really careful with. And once upon a time, George Carlin taught many people, taught a generation, the seven words you're not allowed to say on television. And they were a little different than the seven words that I think most people would have come up with if you'd sat them down and said, write down a bunch of swear words, because they weren't necessarily the most common bad words that people used, but they were Mm -hmm. words that crossed a certain line that the network censors really cared about not crossing. So Mm -hmm. they weren't allowed on network television. And when I think about swearing today and I think about you and your description of yourself as having colorful language and being an an extrovert with a, let's say creative language and a willingness to, to transgress a little bit. I've also never heard you use language that's hurtful, that's demeaning, Mm -hmm. that belittles people that makes less of anybody. And Mm -hmm. that's a very different kind of bad language. It's a different kind of swearing. And I really think that, that, that it matters that we have those categories in our mind. Cause I don't see Julie as a language policeman here. I don't see her as someone who's demanding perfection out of everyone, but I Mm -hmm. see her as someone who's genuinely shocked at a kind of language that does cross those lines where it's not just that it's labeled a bad word, Mm-hmm. But where it it functions to to demean someone or belittle someone or or paint someone as less than, and that mm-hmm. is something that I do think is worth treating in a different way and categorizing in a different way in terms of how we talk about it and how we address it. It's funny. I wouldn't necessarily connect swearing and derogatory language always. Exactly. But yeah, and and derogatory language is something I try really hard to stay away from, and I think with the particular R word in question, that that's one that I've seen in my lifetime, I'm 40 years old, phase out. When I was a kid, it was much more common to hear uh, everybody use that word when they were doing something not particularly brilliant, you know, and it just isn't good. I'm going to just say it like that. It just isn't good. And I've noticed over time how that particular word has really been called out for being derogatory and harmful and hurtful. And that more people have spoken up about how that word, I think, creates that feeling of harmful hurtfulness. And I appreciate people for standing up and saying that because, again, when I grew up, it was it was a pretty benign word. It wasn't as widely known as a hurtful word. And I've appreciated uh, eliminating it from my own language. I appreciate it when I hear people speak up and, and recognize that it's not a good word to be using like that. I know that kids at school today are taught much more about derogatory language than we were. And I felt like my generation actually got a heavy dose 
use of it in school, but that it, it's even more, I think, pronounced and defined now in ways that I think are really great and really helpful to us to understand that language like it really puts people down in ways that that aren't okay and that wouldn't be polite or considered proper etiquette or in even just good community building skills with folks. Yeah. Dan, my personal take here is that Julie can absolutely speak up about this to peers. And this is one that I've seen happen in multiple ways. And when we were an office of 12 people, I remember it happening between folks every now and again. We had folks working from different generations, and I feel like it was a gentle call out, but more so one that came from a personal perspective. So it might be something where you say, oh, like, you know, when you hear that R word come out, you say, oh, I've, I've got to be honest, I'm really uncomfortable with that word being used that way. I, f- I felt like I should let you know that, that that's something I have a really hard time hearing. It can just be a gentle touch like that. It doesn't have to be a huge slap on the wrist. What I really like here is Julie recognizing that she's not technically responsible for any of these people mm-hmm. and that she's not in a position where a heavy correction or a lecture is probably going to be well received. Um, but I do think we are all always in a position to say, I'm I'm not cool with that or, oh, that that really is something I have trouble hearing. I know there are other words like that. That folks will say some of them aren't even in the category of swear words or or derogatory language, but folks will say, "Oh, that's just a word. I just can't stand how that one sounds." Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm I'm leaning on personal perspective here, Julie. I like your idea of it being okay to bring it up, and that it doesn't need to be the most serious conversation that you ever had, and that that might be a, a good way to actually make it digestible for someone else to take the correction and hear you. And I wanted to be clear about the seriousness of the kind of language that it is. Yeah. Bringing it to a point where you might listen to that little voice that says, say something. It'll make you more comfortable. It'll make the the, the space more comfortable. And probably it'll be a, a help to this person down the road at some point that they don't continue yeah. to do this and, and expose themselves in this way. That thought then I think needs to be left behind, like you say, so that you can – have that light touch so that you can be at ease and and not fall into that place of lecturing or scolding. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about acknowledging, you know, I, I like to swear as much as the next gal, but <laughs> to tell you the truth, it made me double take when I heard yeah. this. I like it, Dan. I like that sample language. I like the way you were very clear about talking about how it impacts you so that yeah. you're not saying, you know, you shouldn't use this or that was really wrong, but it's when I heard it, it, it had this kind of impact on me. This is the way I heard it. This is the impact that, that that I felt. And you could develop that into an ask of them or you could just leave it at that. I think that's a, a judgment call. Um, the other thought that I had is anytime you bring up anything like this where you're making a correction and when you're making a correction that someone might recognize is something where they feel a little exposed or maybe a little defensive because the thing you're calling out is something they recognize as bad or not good or ugly. Yeah. Um, That you're also ready to drop it if they don't want to hear it or listen if they feel like they have to offer some sort of explanation that you're prepared for it to land a number of different ways that you're prepared to, to let it go. But also know that you've probably done your work that most people, when they hear something like that, even if it takes a little time for it to sink in, my strong suspicion is that if you mention it, it, they will think about it again before they use that word in front of you. 
Julie, I appreciate having a sympathetic fellow in in the world of um, swearing, I will say. And at the same time, I really appreciate the way that you are watching out for what is very clearly derogatory language around you. And we certainly hope that our sample script and some of the tactics we've talked about here today can help you help others. Our rules apply equally to all, with no exceptions. That is part of making them fair. Each one of us has the responsibility of learning the rules and remembering to follow them. Our next question is about a moniker mess. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am a longtime listener of the podcast. It serves as my soundtrack for getting ready for work in the morning. I'm so excited to finally have a question for the podcast. In a few months, I'm going to be getting a legal name change. Mm. I will be changing both my first, middle, and last name. I never felt connected to my birth name, and I've been thinking this over for many years. I live in the same part of town as my parents and visit them a few times a week. I've told my mother, and she told me that she is a bit sad, but she respects my decision. However, I don't know how to tell my father. I know that names are very important to a lot of families, and I don't want to insult my father whose last name I have and was named after his estranged mother. My mother thinks this may seem like a slight to our family, and it may make him angry. He has always been very supportive of me in my life. I want to approach this with consideration, respect, and honesty. Do you have any sample language I can use to inform my father of this life-changing decision? Is what I'm doing considered bad etiquette? Thank you for your time and consideration. A rose by any other name. Oh, a rose by any other name. I can understand why this this one feels really tough. I think names are incredibly personal. And I, I you know, I remember talking to someone, a reporter, about uh, two or three weeks ago, and we were talking about things in the new book. And one of the sections in the new book is about respecting trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming communities and, and people in those communities, and especially respecting them by using names. And his son has transitioned from gender they had identified as a girl at birth to being a man now as an adult. And the reporter was telling me that as he's been going through it, you know, one of the things he he was intrigued at how it hit him personally was the naming and the choice of name that his son has chosen for himself because he was thinking, oh, man, no, wait, that's I would have named you this if, if you had come out as a boy and I had recognized that at your birth. And then he goes, but it's not about me. It's about what he wants and how he sees himself and how he wants to present himself to the world. So even in a relationship where the child is going through something as complex as a transition, there's still that parental attachment in some cases to the naming of a child. It was just a, a powerful and beautiful conversation I really appreciated having. It reminds me of this right here because I could see a parent or two parents like your mom had said, I'm, I'm a bit sad, but I really want to respect your decision. I'm hoping your dad will have that same reaction or even one where he just supports you. But what I think is important is to be honest. It's like, Dan, I'm coming to the honesty on this one. I don't think you want to hide it from him. And I think you can be considerate by saying, you know, I, I really understand the tradition of carrying on names and, and I understand who you name me after. 
And I've tried to live with that in a way that felt really uh, comfortable and like I was really embodying those names and it just hasn't ever felt right to me. And so I've come to the decision where I'm going to move forward with changing my name. This is the name I'm going to be. I'm always going to be your daughter and I'm always going to be so proud of who my parents are. You know, you can say things about, I think, the, the pride and the joy of carrying on names but attach them to other things about your parents as opposed to the names that like, I'm I'm so proud of you and I'm so honored to be in this family. It sounds like you have a very loving relationship with both your parents. So I feel like that could, could be an easy access point to, to help soften the blow that might come if, if dad is really attached to something like a, a last name. I agree, Lizzie Post. And I also think being ready to listen being prepared to be patient, to hear different kinds of responses is also well advised that you can prepare well to say the things that you want to say and to say them clearly. And I really like your suggestion, Lizzie, that you also make explicit the the love, respect, care, um, thought that you've given to your family and particularly your relationship with your father and that you feel from him to the extent that you do, if those things are true and that your decision about your name is, is, is something independent, something that you want to make for yourself. And, and I would be ready to talk about those reasons, but then it might take some time that it's, it's, it might be something that someone needs to digest. It might be something that someone needs to think about. It might be that they have some reactions that you're not anticipating. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all of the different ways that parents connect with their kids, but also what that specifically, what that naming process is all about and how we project identities onto people, how people assume identities for themselves. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't help but read this and think about an example that my, my mother shares often uh, at an elementary school where she was principal (laughs) And there was a a little gal who'd been named by her parents who were self-described flower children of the 60s and 70s. And they had named their daughter Paisley. And Paisley decided that she would much prefer to be called by her Old Testament middle name in about the second grade. And made that decision at school, in her school community, talked to her teachers, talked to her principals, and... Um, the, the school community had to check in with mom and dad just to be sure that everything was all right. And mom and dad were a little surprised and they loved the name Paisley, but they also really loved their daughter and loved that she had the sense of self and the sense of self identity to, to identify with something else and to have an opinion or perspective about it and to choose it. And they respected that choice. And I think about it sometimes. I think about the little girl who was once called Paisley when I think about naming questions and, and how we form identities. I always like that story because she's now an Elizabeth, <laughs> and so I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm rather liking that myself, <laughs> but you know, not a biased opinion over here at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> a rose by any other name, we are sure that the other names you choose will be just as sweet, and we truly hope that by having an open and candid conversation with your father that you'll be able to communicate this in a considerate, respectful, and honest way. We wish you the best of luck, and we hope you enjoy living out life with your new name.
Our next question is titled Doggy Danger. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I listen to your podcast during my commute to and from work, and it's by far one of my favorites. I found myself in a situation today, and you two are the only people I can think to ask whether or not I handled it well. My daughter goes to an in-home daycare four days a week. Her sitter has dogs, but they are not in the house or in the same room as the children, and I have not been introduced to them. Today, when I picked up my daughter, the two German shepherds ran from the backyard as I was walking to my car with my daughter in tow. They were barking a lot, but I wasn't sure it was necessarily aggressive or if they were just barking to bark. Regardless, they are large dogs and intimidating, so I immediately put my daughter in the car. They continued to bark, and I was nervous to even walk around to the driver's side. I finally shut her door and made my way around the car. They were still barking. And as I got in, one of them nipped at my pants as I pulled my leg into the car. I quickly shut my door and they continued to bark and followed me out of the driveway. I'm a dog person, but I was so shaken up by this. They are larger dogs and I don't know if it was trying to bite me or just nip at me. Anyways, I decided I needed to tell the sitter what happened so that maybe she could wait until I was out of the driveway to let the dogs out in the future. After much deliberation on my ride home, I sent her a text telling her that one of the dogs nipped at my pants and that I was fine but thought she should know. She responded with a shocked and very apologetic text, and we went back and forth a little, mostly me telling her it was okay and I wasn't upset with her, and her apologizing to me and reassuring me the dogs were never around my daughter. I feel the situation is for the most part resolved, but I want to be sure I did the right thing in telling her. I tried to think of consideration, respect, and honesty. I didn't accuse her dog or say anything negative, as I'm sure she loves her dog. But I also didn't want to endanger myself or my daughter by not saying anything and having this happen again. Did I handle the situation correctly? We love our daughter's daycare, and I want to maintain our great relationship with her sitter. Thank you for any advice you may have. Alyssa. Oh, Alyssa, I want to start off by saying I'm sorry you had to deal with it. And then I'm (laughs) I'm hearing the applause coming from the other side of the microphone. Clapping, clapping, yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, let me... um, uh, double, triple, quadruple affirm that you did the right thing in contacting your sitter and talking to her about it. And if anything, I, I would even say you were very circumspect and understanding based on what happened. My only advice or, or place where I would maybe look for some improvement is that I'm not entirely sure I would have been satisfied with a text exchange after something like that happening. I think that there is enough subtlety and enough issues that are serious enough going on here that I would want to give myself the chance to express myself at at least over the phone. Mm -hmm. And I might even really, depending on the kind of response that I got, suggest I might call, tell somebody that it happened and then say, you know, I'd really like to talk with you about it when I drop my son or daughter off tomorrow or pick up or whatever it is, but look for an opportune moment where we might even have an in-person conversation or discussion about it. 
Lizzie, I think our Alyssa is clearly a dog person. I think a not dog person might have even responded more strongly or forcefully. Oh, yeah, but, what what for are your sure. thoughts on this as a as a known dog lover? <laughs> <laughs> We're both dog owners, but I feel like I would have called. I'll be really honest. I think um I think Alyssa lucked out that the text message really worked here. Um, and I, I'm really glad that what she was met with was just pure apology and reassurance. Um, I think that was so the right move on the, on behalf of the dog owner being a childcare provider. And I'm really glad to hear that, that when told that the dog had nipped at, at Alyssa's ankle, that the sitter was very, very much so just shocked and apologetic. Like, oh my gosh. That's bad. And I am so sorry. I mean, that I really, really appreciate that this text went really well. Like you, I think a phone call would have been better. I'm less leaning towards in-person conversation if the reaction I'm getting from the other end is profusely apologetic and like recognizing that this is not an okay situation right from the get-go, then I don't think the in-person is as necessary. If I had gotten a pretty lackluster apology on that phone call or that text message, that's when I might upgrade and say, you know, I'd really like to talk about this in person when I drop, you know, my kid off tomorrow morning or something like that, or, you know, whenever is convenient. But I'd like to discuss this in person if I wasn't, I think, if I didn't feel like I was getting through to someone that this was uncomfortable enough that it had me concerned. I really also appreciate Alyssa's willingness to not blame the dog because there are all kinds of dogs in this world and it's up to the people who have taken on guardianship of them, ownership of them, care of them, whatever word you want to use. It's up to those people to make sure their dogs are in safe environments where the dogs aren't going to do something. This is the same as like if your dog pees in the house, you don't whack it with a newspaper. You whack yourself and remind yourself to let the dog out before you leave or something like that. Like it really is the owner of the dog who needs to keep the dogs in the appropriate situation and that if they get out or if something happens, that's on the owner. It's not on the dog. And I really appreciate Alyssa sort of leaning into that and not trying to blame the dogs for what happened. I know that when it comes to pets, people can just get so protective and so defensive. And so I'm really glad that's not the situation Alyssa ended up in. She ended up with someone who was saying, hey, listen, I understand this is a thing to be concerned about. She was validated. She was reassured. I just think this went so incredibly well. And yeah, like you, Dan, the only thing I would have done differently is probably called instead of done a text message. But in this case, the text message totally worked. I agree a thousand percent, Lizzie Post. It is dog what did you call them? Care caregivers, tenders, caregivers, guardians, <laughs> guardians, owners, responsibilities. I mean, pick your best friends. I mean, pick pick your language. You know. <laughs> and in order for that person to do that job well, they need to know what's going on. They need to know what their dogs are yes. doing and how their dogs are perceived by other people. And yes, two dogs that are off leash, untended, or around people where they're not under the direct control of their owner. Yeah. Scary thing. Who are barking, being aggressive, even nipping a little bit at somebody is mm-hmm. a situation that is out of control enough that it's really important that the owner of those dogs knows that's going on because it's yeah. it's a risk to the 
people that they're interacting with, but it's a risk for those dogs as well if they're out yeah. of control like that. And they're very fortunate, Alyssa, that it was you that they ran into that day and that you're thinking as carefully as you are about how you raise these issues and how you raise them in a way that the the sitter can hear them and understand them and give you the kinds of answers that she gave you or that he gave you. Thank you for sharing your question with us. Thank you for letting us and our audience think about these questions as well. We really hope that our answer helps. Tippy is a friendly dog. But the big dog growls at Tippy. Is Tippy in danger? Can he run faster than the big dog? Yes, Tippy is safe, at least for now. Our next question is a quick one. It's titled Shrimp Situation. As a hostess, I'm deathly allergic to shrimp. We are hosting our annual garden party, and people ask, what can I bring? And often in the summer, they have in mind a shrimp platter. How can I answer their question other than, I am deathly allergic to shrimp. Please don't bring any. Thank you, Anne. Anne, almost your exact wording, but a little softer. I think you could say, you know, you could bring any type of side dish or any type of dessert or any, okay, dessert's probably not going to have shrimp in it, but anything just as long as it doesn't have shrimp, I am unfortunately deathly allergic and really need to make sure it's not in my home. And I think that would be very clear. And if I was on the the receiving end of that, set, if you're saying it with a smile and you're, you know, talking to me about this party you're excited to invite me to, I think I am going to say, don't you worry, Anne, I will not bring any shrimp to your home. And thank you for letting me know. I feel like honest, honesty is the right, the right tact here. I mean, you got to go for it and just tell people I'm, I'm deathly allergic to shrimp, but you could bring anything else. I had one edit. Yeah. I, I substituted extremely for deathly. I'm extremely oh, okay. allergic to <laughs> shellfish. Again, this is sample script practice here. And then I tried a little Lizzie Post humor. Please don't bring any or we'll be having a quick trip to the ER instead of our <laughs> X, Y, or Z. Totally. Totally. But no, like um, you, safety supersedes etiquette. I think this yeah. is information that um, you've got to find a way to get across because it's important. So there you have it, and you could choose between how how extreme you want it to sound, extremely or deathly, whichever whichever gets your point across the way you need to, and with a little bit of humor, but also the reality that this is a serious situation for you. Um, but truly, this is the kind of thing that any host, um, and frankly, any guest, when you're in a, a guest position, um, if you're that person who's allergic to even the smell of peanuts in a house, um, that's something you've got to bring up. And and if it's a real serious allergy, I think letting folks know the the severity of it is is really important. I have a friend who's allergic to cats and I didn't find out until like 10, 10 visits into her at my house. And I said, you're allergic to cats. Oh, my gosh, I could have vacuumed more. I could have we could have met at your house. Like, what's going on here? She goes, it's a very slight allergy. I'd rather come hang out with you at your house every now and again than not. And it's it's funny how allergies can be that way. Sometimes it's just a mild reaction that someone gets. Other times it is an emergency trip to the ER and you're worried about timing and how fast we're going to get, whether it's epinephrine or whatever it is into you that will stop the reaction. So definitely worth letting people know where you fall on that scale. But as Dan said, you can, you can soften it if, if, it's, if it makes it a little nicer. 
And thank you so much for the question. We hope that our answer helps you avoid shrimp situations in the future. There's something we all enjoy about staying for dinner. Have you ever thought why? It's because eating with others is fun. People like to come together at mealtimes, enjoy each other's company while they're enjoying good food. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a paid subscriber to our Substack by going to emilypost.substack.com. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including our discussion threads and community. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already paid subscribers, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Gina. Good afternoon, Dan and Lizzie. I hope you are prepped and ready for a fabulous Thanksgiving. I wanted to offer some feedback regarding armchair doctor's advice that Julie had left as a voicemail question. I've been on both sides of this topic and have learned an amazing trick. Dan had mentioned something similar about the person sharing, setting the feedback they were looking for. As someone who is listening to a friend and aren't entirely sure how to respond, I have learned to ask, can I provide you with sympathy or solutions? It helps me know how to respond and ensures the friend speaking comes away with what they were expecting. Sincerely, Gina W. Thanks, Gina. It's great feedback. I like that. I like it as a as a concrete question you could actually ask someone. Can I provide sympathy or solutions? And I'm also thinking that would work very well for me just as a little reminder in my own brain as I'm listening to someone. Oh, I yeah. can say to myself, am I listening with like a sympathy response going or a solution response going? And it might help me organize my thoughts. Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's topic is one we've been waiting for after <laughs> talking last week about all the holiday gifts that we don't wrap. We wanted to turn our attention today to the gifts that are often wrapped, the present exchanges, the gift exchanges that are so often a part of people's holiday traditions. This can be a really special moment between people, and we think it deserves a little bit closer look. Absolutely, Dan. And we'll start off by talking about this from the perspective of helping the youngsters in our lives do gifting well, because there is a lot of excitement attached to it. There's also the fact that, you know, they've a lot of them have been planning their wish lists, and there can be a disappointment factor if that, you know 
magical unicorn with rainbow hair pony 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 show pony, 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 on pony. The, you know and the real one you know y'all not the toy one i wanted the real one no <laughs> this can be a really disappointing moment and being able to handle disappointment and still express our gratitude uh is really important thing for kids and adults probably some teenagers too to really be thinking about this time of year to help make gift exchanges really celebrate the magic that's within them and and to really honor that magic within a gift exchange. So we have a couple tips here to to talk with your kiddos about. For me, in my case, it'll be a niece and nephew. But I think that the very first one is often a tough one for little, little kids. But it's one that I think adults really need to remember, too. And that's that when someone's giving you a gift, look the person in the eye and smile. You know, give them your attention. Um, when someone's handing you something, even though you don't know what it is yet, you don't know if you'll be 100% grateful for it yet, it's a really beautiful thing that someone's presenting you with a, a beautifully wrapped package, even if that's in, you know, newspaper and string. And I think that making sure that you smile and say, oh, you know, thank you as you're just receiving the opportunity to unwrap a gift is a great thing to do. Little heady for kids. So in that case, just remind them you really want to look at grandma when she gives you your gift and smile and say thank you as you open it. And then, you know, we can get into the rest of it. Dan, I won't take all the points away, but it very quickly goes through them. <laughs> Frankly, Lizzie Post, if we were to stop this postscript right now, I would be happy. Because <laughs> um, that's the most important part is that intro part. It really <laughs> is. And it, I mean, when you talk about about share this with children and these are the, the the baseline expectations don't forget to be clear with children about the, the the fundamentals because things that we take for granted oftentimes go unsaid and are easier to miss than you might imagine as you point out people think about gifts there's anticipation there's excitement there's quality of surprise that's often a part of it there also might be a really busy day. There might be a yeah. day where there's a lot of other things going on, a lot of unfamiliar people or people doing things that are different than they usually do. And in the midst of all that, to locate yourself in, in time and space with the person that you're exchanging the gift with, to inhabit that moment with them and to have some physical cues, to be present in yourself, to, to make eye contact and to smile and to be there for that that gift exchange and that moment and to be there as a, a good version of yourself is, I think, the most important thing. And I think it's a really, really good reminder for adults <laughs> as well as children. Because if you can if you can manage that, I think the words are gonna come. I think the rest of the experience is 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 likely to fall into place. But nicely, let's yeah. Talk about yeah. some of those other elements that, that that hopefully you can bring into place when you're sharing that moment. You're reminding me that this particular section on gift giving isn't just about receiving. And I was talking about it from, you know, the, the when someone hands you a gift, you want to look them in the face, you want to smile, uh, you want to be present with that present in the moment. Mm -hmm. But it's also about giving the gifts. And as yes. little kids, having the courage to hand someone a gift and say, I made this for you, or I got this for you, or this is for you this year 
because I cannot tell you how petrifying it was being four years younger than everyone else at the Post family Christmas. Oh, boy. Yeah. And having to walk up to some giant like Casey Post, who's like six foot gajillion tall, as this tiny little tyke and say, I got this for you in our Christmas exchange. Or to like receive a gift from Nick, who was so like uh, cool. Cool. I know. Like him and Caroline, man. But, but you know, he was my boy cousin and he was older and, and I, d- I just didn't know him as well. And so I was always so nervous. But then like the gift he'd give me was so cool. And so it was easy to say thank you. But little kids, you know, people are. They're taller than them. They're bigger than them. It can feel intimidating. And finding that moment during the day when you're at that bigger family gathering and maybe the cousin gift exchanges are going on to help facilitate little kids participating in that is really, really great. So maybe it's you taking a younger cousin or a niece or nephew or your son, daughter or child to the tree and grabbing their gift and saying, okay, we're going to go give this to somebody right now, or we're going to give it to this person right now. And are you ready? You're going to say, this is for you. I hope you like it. Or Merry Christmas. If you're celebrating Christmas, like guiding them with a little bit of that sample language and kind of helping facilitate that moment of giving, but having them be the one to hand it over. And Little kids sometimes get shy. Sometimes they don't want to. Sometimes you'll be the one to hand the gift over. But having them come and be a part of that rather than just gifts being found under a tree or kind of, you know, opened afterwards when everybody goes home. I think really making sure that that you encourage kids to on the giving part, too, that it's really, really important. Dan, we've done giving and receiving, but what about my favorite part, the opening? I was going to say the opening, <laughs> the the playing with, the taking just a moment together when the gift has been exchanged to, to either open it and appreciate it or just to appreciate it or to, to thank, to then allow a, a, a reciprocal gratitude exchange to happen as a follow-up. Here, I got this for you. I've been thinking about you. I made an effort for you. I hope you like it. Thank you so much. I do like it. I appreciate the effort you made. That was so thoughtful of you. You're most welcome. I, I, you matter to me. I mean, this is fundamentally what we're saying back and forth as we go through this process together and not hurrying that moment after the gift has been given or received and allowing the, the opening and the appreciation of that gift to have its own breath and to have its own moment as well, I think is a really important part of that gift exchange in terms of letting it blossom, letting it be its full flower and and, and really be everything that it can be. It, it's not that every one of those notes has to be hit every single time, but but that's what I'd be looking for. Those are the those are the the elements that I think are are available to us if we're there to enjoy them. Dan, it is so easy during the holidays and especially a holiday like Christmas that seems like it's gotten out of control to just get down on the negativity of capitalism and stuff and greed, excess, excess. And, and and to be in the weeds in the negativity that frankly can come with these end of the year holidays and the way we choose to celebrate them. But I really truly believe that etiquette 
is the tool that can help us find the good in these exchanges. It is the thing that can help keep the spirit of generosity alive throughout the holiday season for you. And it can really keep all of the negativity and the, the grossness of excess at bay. I love the fact that the pleases and the thank yous, the taking a moment to be present with people as gift exchanges are happening, that these things are so rooted in consideration and respect and a little bit of honesty too, um, but that they're so rooted in consideration and respect and that when we take the time to honor them in this exchange, that it really does become that much more impactful. Think about the Christmas where everything's just ripped open and you didn't even get to see your kid open that big, awesome, amazing main gift that they got. And think instead about the moment where you actually get to see that happen. And they're still excited about the day. It's not like we're telling people to sit up proper on, on stiff wooden chairs and, and quietly hand things to each other, like embrace the frivolity. But by keeping the consideration and the respect alive in it, by keeping the etiquette in the gift exchange, I think you so celebrate the spirit of generosity and people are really going to feel it. So I'm, I'm very excited. This has gotten me really pumped up for, for making my lists, for getting excited about doing all the little elf work that I like to do this holiday season. And I'm, I'm so excited for my niece and nephew to have an, another young kid Christmas where they're discovering the magic of this particular holiday. Well, Lizzie Post, I also have elf work to do. We'll see you at the salute and we'll see you next week for another postscript. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a lovely salute from M. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am writing to offer you my heartfelt thank you, both to you and your audience, for the help with speaking to my family about how to speak about my son's mother, my ex-wife, in front of him during his visit. The visit went off exactly as I hoped that it would, with grandparents and grandson being able to enjoy some wonderful time together over the holiday season. Seeing the smile on his face and my parents was worth an initially awkward conversation with them. With improving relations, my ex and I were able to work out a school custody agreement between ourselves that did not involve the family court system. It balances serving the best interest of our son and both of our desires to be a part of his life while also effectively co-parenting from different parts of the country. With the simple approach of respect, consideration, and honesty, everyone has been able to take an emotionally fraught situation and turn it into a positive outcome. Not only was it a good outcome in it that I got to spend time with my son, it has the added advantage of getting to show him that being a gentleman in the modern world leads to good results in the end, even while on the path of getting there, it may not feel like it. Again, Thank you so much, M. 
Em, thank you so much for this salute. And it was really touching to include the audience in it because I think we get so much from our audience members, hearing their perspective within the questions they ask with and obviously getting their perspective and the yeah. feedback that we receive on this show. I really think that the audience does as much heavy lifting as we do a lot of the time. And so I really, really appreciated them being included to this. And I am just so my heart is so warmed by reading this account of, of a family divided who is actually very united. And I, I really, really loved your sharing this. So thank you so much, Em. Em, thank you so much for this salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and to everyone who supports us as a paid subscriber on our Substack. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilycoast.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber to our Substack, where you can support awesome etiquette by visiting emilypost.substack.com. You will receive an ads-free version of the show, plus bonus questions and content, and you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please, please, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and, and Bridget. Bridget.